Welcome to the Canada and Constitution Act of 1867 podcast. I'm your host, Brianna Rubinchek, and in today's episode, we'll be talking about the role that the Legislative Council and the government had throughout the process of making Canada a colony of its own, not a British colony. On June 6, 1867, the Queen's Most Excellent Majesty in Council of the Colony, said to be Queensland, had declared and ordered that the legislature of the colony should have, from time to time, full power and authority to alter or repeal any laws of provisions of the order in council. In this article, I found Queensland Constitution Act 1867-1978 and states, provided that every vote by which any alteration should be made in the constitution of the legislative council so as to render the whole or any portion thereof elective should be reserved for the signification of Her Majesty's pleasure thereon and a copy of such bill should be laid before both houses of the imperial parliament for the period of thirty days at least before her majesty's pleasure thereon should be signified as followed when the amendments were being made at this time section ninety two a had been added it had given the provinces greater control over non-renewable and natural resources such as commercial and industrial use aesthetic value scientific interest and cultural value an act for the governor of New South Wales enacted that every bill which has been passed by the said council and also every law proposed by the governor which shall have been passed by the said council, whether with or without amendments, shall be presented for Her Majesty's assent to the governor of the said colony, and that the governor shall declare, according to his discretion, but subject nevertheless to the provisions contained in this act, and to such instructions as may from time to time be given in that behalf by her majesty her hires or successors that he assents to such bill in her majesty's name or that he withholds her majesty's assent or that he reserves such bill for the signification of her majesty's pleasure according to the article Queensland constitution act 1867 to 1978 no bill passed unless it had been signified through speech or message and proclaimed by the Legislative Council. The Legislative Council consisted of the Legislative Assembly, which had to be within the colony of Queensland, and Her Majesty had to have the power with the advice and consent of the Assembly to make the laws in all cases. The Parliament consisted of the Queen and the Legislative Assembly, and once a bill gets passed through the Assembly, it had to be presented to the Governor in the name of the Queen. There had to be one session of Parliament held each year, and no member was able to vote until he had taken the oath of allegiance in front of the Governor of the Colony or someone authorized to administer the oath. Affirmations can be made instead of an oath. There are disqualification contractors and people interested in contracts, exempted disqualification members of companies that exceed 20. There are elections that took place on vacancies. Elections of disqualified persons void, such as any people that were disabled or declared incapable cannot sit in assembly or vote. There was a penalty for sitting or voting, and people had to forfeit the sum of $1,000 to be recovered by any person who shall sue for the same in the Supreme Court of Queensland. There's a scope of Section 6 and 7, only extended contracts or agreements for furnishing or providing of wares and merchandise to be used or employed in the service of the public. 
there had been standing rules and others to be made. Rule number nine of the legislature had been repealed. Power to alter a system of representation, there had to be an existing legislature that would not be affected by this act. There had to be an office of governor and the office of governor had to conform to the instructions. The governor itself had to have a place and time for holding the parliament, had to have a supply of former acts that allowed and didn't allow bills to be reserved, had to have appointments created for all public offices under the governor that had to be vested, and judges had continued to enjoy their offices during their good behavior despite the crown. There could be removed by the crown addressed by the parliament. Salaries had been secured during the time of commission. Unless recommended by the governor, no money votes or bills were lawful. And except for warrants issued by the governor, no part of public revenue could be issued. Canada is considered to be one of the world's oldest democratic federations in which, in 1867, it had been marked by the coexistence of communities with different cultures and languages which this federation had accepted immigrants later on with many ethnic and cultural backgrounds. By Canada being a British colony in the past, had left a mark in regards to the institutions, the constitutional monarchy, the parliamentary regime, and lastly, the system of judicial organization. According to this next article I found by Eugenie Brouillette, the Supreme Court of Canada, the concept of cooperative federalism and its effect on the balance of power, published by the University of Toronto Press, it states that the courts of final resort in the constitutional field have, in performing their duties, developed extensive jurisprudence in the area of federative disputes. The dualistic approach to power sharing promoted by the Judicial Committee of the Privy Council in London, the Court of Final Appeal for Canadian Cases until 1949, has been followed by the more cooperative approach to Canadian federalism exemplified in the jurisprudence of the Supreme Court of Canada. Canada had been one of the lowest population densities in the world, and it has 10 provinces and three territories, which consists of a wealth of natural resources as well as fresh water reserves, and is known to be one of the world's largest agricultural products supplies. Going back to the article I found by Eugenie Brouillette, there's another statement that I found and it says, in 1774, the Quebec Act extended the boundaries of the province to match those of the former New France. The Act also authorized the application of French civil law within the province, hence Quebec, unlike the other provinces that function under a common law system, still uses civil law. In 1791, the British Parliament passed an act that modified the territorial boundaries of its colony to match the new socio-cultural order. The western part of Quebec was detached to form a new province, Upper Canada, while Quebec became Lower Canada, retaining a large French-speaking Catholic majority in contrast to Ontario, which was overwhelmingly English-speaking and Protestant. Each of the two new provinces was given its own legislative assembly. During the 1830s, a broad-based movement to obtain the administrative independence of the colonies from the mother country led to armed popular uprisings that were quickly suppressed by the British Army. To quell the calls for autonomy that were far more insistent in Lower Canada, today's Quebec, the British Parliament decided by the Act of Union of 1840 to combine Lower and Upper Canada into a single colony, 
with the avowed intention of assimilating the French-speaking population by making it the minority in a united parliament. As followed, the Constitution Act of 1867 was intended to act in the same way as the British North America Act itself, which was by the Imperial Parliament. In the next article that I found by Peter W. Hogg, Formal Amendment of the Constitution of Canada, it states, Before the decision of the Supreme Court of Canada in the Patriation reference, the position was unclear. The federal government had not made a consistent practice of obtaining the consent of the provinces before requesting an amendment, although unanimous provincial consent had been obtained for all amendments directly affecting provincial powers. And lastly, three provinces directed references to their courts of appeal asking, one, whether there was a requirement of law that provincial consents be obtained, and two, whether there was a requirement of convention that provincial consents be obtained. And with that being said, I would like to close out this podcast. Thank you for listening to the first episode. Have a good evening.